Hey, it's Scott Patrick with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. Training camp is less than a week away, and the excitement is building. I covered the Baker Mayfield Youth Football Camp on Wednesday, and that got the juices flowing. And now I'm joined again by Dave Chodowski of the WKYC Morning News as we continue to get you ready for a highly anticipated Brown season. How's it going, Dave? Scott, great. I mean, not only you got the Browns starting next week, which I had to pinch myself because, boy, it's, it's finally here. But the Olympics start tomorrow. So for us on Channel 3, WKYC, that's a huge deal because we have, of course, the Olympics. So, uh, you know, busy time for the morning show and uh, also for the whole station. So, uh, you know, a lot of eyeballs on that and just crazy with, you know, no fans there and the talks of, you know, maybe the games would get canceled. So, uh quite a bit going on in that regard too yeah you're right about that I mean I'm, I like watching the Olympics a bunch they kind of snuck not snuck up on me I know it's been two years in the making but it feels like all of a sudden they're here you know and you got all this other stuff going on um but it gives you plenty to watch on tv right and it, all hours of the day there'll be something to watch and you know I woke up what was it yesterday to find out that the women's soccer team had lost and I thought the games had started before the opening ceremonies but I wasn't even sure about that and then there it was that they lose to Sweden yeah so yeah upset there for sure but uh you know they should bounce back you would hope they've had problems with Sweden in the past but uh you know they had gone 44 straight without losing I think they had a tie but um you know yeah definitely uh incredible well so you had mentioned Baker and you know we had that on the morning show here uh we're recording this on Thursday and, uh, you know, the one thing we had, we had two different segments with Baker, one on his contract and, you know, one on COVID-19 and, and getting vaccinated. So pick your poison. Which one do you want to go with first? Yeah, let's start with the contract. Um, you know, it's interesting. We've talked about it so many times, Dave, because it's been kind of the hottest topic of the offseason. And there's nothing really brewing. And, you know, Baker said he's not worried about a contract he has no anxiety if the Browns win the contract will take care of itself and I think he's right about that um and the fact that there's nothing brewing I I don't think it means a whole lot I I think you look at I think Baker wants to be here and I know that the Browns want Baker to be here so that's where you need to start when you talk about any contract extension um it's going to be a lot of money whether it's you know, for a while, I thought $35 million a year was kind of the starting point. And now I think it's going to be higher than that. So you're talking about 38 or 40 or $42 million a year. When you're talking about that kind of money, the talks are going to be sensitive. And I think Andrew Barry knows that. And I don't think his, he wants to make his first offer um, insulting at all. So, you know, maybe that's part of the delay, including – the fact that Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen also have not signed their extensions. And it feels like if the quarterback market is quiet across the league and therefore there's not a whole lot of action. And I think a domino needs to fall for maybe the next two dominoes to fall. And, you know, it could be Baker. Um, but right now it feels like it's going to be another quarterback first. And then maybe the Browns and Baker react to that other contract, you know, and then there's always a possibility that either side says, you know what, let's just play out 2021 
Baker's under contract through 2022, and we'll get a deal done after this season. And for Baker, that could mean a big bump in pay, right? Let's let's throw use that $38 million number. And let's say he plays like a Pro Bowl and he leads the Browns to the AFC Championship game or the Super Bowl. All of a sudden, that number might become 42 or 45 million a year, right? And, that, and that's a lot of money. So, you know, I think there's some moving parts here, which is why a deal hasn't been done yet. Um, but to reiterate, that doesn't mean anything bad, like any bad blood between the sides at all. And it is a deal that it could get done by August 1st. It could get done by September 12th, you know, when the season starts, or it could wait. Um, I, I, and I think we'll probably have to see either Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen sign first. That's my gut. Um, but you never know if Andrew Barry and Baker's agents, the Mills, Jack and Tom Mills, decide to get together and they talk and they can reach a number that they're both agreeable to. Um, it could get done and it could give both sides some clarity and some stability, um, which, you know, that's always a big question mark, right? It's a, it's a violent game. And if you get that money first and it's guaranteed money, um, there's a little bit of peace of mind, I would think for Baker. Yeah, it's pretty interesting when you look at this subject, because I, I could really see both sides of the, the story here, but you know, each side of the, the fence, because you know, you, you have them already locked in. It's just a matter of, you know, locking them in longer. Right. Um, but it, the thing is, it's like, why, if you're the Browns, do you have to rush? But then on the other aspect, it's like, geez, I mean, we've been waiting decades to finally get a quarterback. And if he's the guy, just go ahead and sign him. Chad, <laughs> Chad, I, I could not agree with you more. That to me, that feels like the default because if, if Baker's, well, I, I'm assuming the Baker's a long-term answer. I've reached that conclusion in my head. I believe the Browns organization has reached that conclusion. So once that's the case, I think you do benefit from signing him. It gives you salary cap certainty, right? He's the highest paid guy on your team, or going to be the highest paid guy on your team. So that lets you set your salary cap for the next five, six years. And then you can figure out, okay, how much can we pay Nick Chubb? How, can, how much can we pay Denzel Ward? And the fact is, I, I think when you make that commitment, it erases a lot of questions about the position, right? If Baker, let's say Baker does not sign the extension this season and he plays just okay, right? And the Browns go to the playoffs and they lose in the first round and Baker doesn't make the Pro Bowl and he plays like a top 15 quarterback and that's it. Well, then I think the Browns are faced with the question, well, do we sign him? Do we give him this big contract? And I think, I still think they need to because there's not really a plan B but now there's more doubts about the contract where if you get it out of the way now and he struggles, like, I think it, it quiets some of the noise because you say, Hey, he's our guy. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. So maybe that's semantics, but to me, that feels real that giving him this kind of commitment really erases any questions or should erase a lot of the questions about his future and his future with the team. And if there's any struggles, they need to be dismissed because the Browns have made it clear that he's their guy for the next X number of years. Well, unless the struggles continue and then you're locked into that contract and you didn't have your guy. Yeah. I mean, right. And, and you, so I flashed to Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, but 
I feel like that's the wrong way to operate. I feel like you, if you if you believe he's a guy, and I believe the Browns believe he's a guy, and make that commitment. And if it goes sideways, it goes sideways. But I feel like at that position, you have to be all in. And I feel the best way to show that, or the clearest way to show that, is by paying him the big money extension. Now, you know, I could be wrong, and if Baker falls flat on his face, then I look like a fool here. But I don't think that's going to be the case, and I don't think the Browns think that's going to be the case. So if you have that strong conviction, I, I think you show it with the contract. Now, it's just a matter of how much is that contract and how many years and, you know, the kind of things Paul D. Podesta and Andrew Barry and Baker's agents will discuss. Um, but I feel like the big question has been answered, and that's we feel like Baker's the guy, And speaking from the Browns' perspective. Also grabbing headlines yesterday, Baker said that if you're vaccinated, it gives you an edge in the NFL. It gives the Browns an edge having more players vaccinated. Is that right? He did say that. And I'm not sure how headline worthy it was. I mean, he talked about vaccines. Vaccines are a huge issue. So, yes, it's worth discussing. Um, well, we had it in our morning show. Right. right. So, no. I mean, I, it, yeah. you know, especially people that aren't diehard football fans are even interested in, in comments like that. Yeah, it, yes, I, I, I get the newsworthiness of it. I guess my point is it shouldn't be, and I don't want to get too political, but it shouldn't be news when somebody says, yes, it's a good thing for everyone that we get the vaccine, right? And that was part of Baker's argument is for the well-being of humans, we should get the vaccine. And it helps from a competitive advantage standpoint because the NFL loosens restrictions and loosens protocols. And if you're vaccinated, you don't have to test every day and you don't have to wear a mask in the building and you don't have to stay inside your hotel when you're on the road and you can eat with your teammates. Like there's a litany of things that become easier for your team and contact tracing. You don't have to, you're not automatically out because of contact tracing, which we know sidelined a bunch of the Browns last year. And it might've cost them that game in, New York against the Jets when their whole receiving core was out due to contact tracing. So there's a ton of competitive advantages that players get when they're vaccinated and the teams will get if they reach the 85% threshold, which I was told the Browns are close to reaching if they haven't already gotten there. Um, and then, but I, I like the fact that Baker made it a point to say, it's not just a competitive balancing. It's also good for society the more people get vaccinated and you know maybe it gets through to somebody that baker said it right the people that are hesitant to be vaccinated um so i like the fact that he said it now he didn't say whether or not he'd been vaccinated but he certainly spoke as if he had been or will be vaccinated So, Scott, one more thing on Baker before we move on. I've always felt you could tell a lot looking at players and coaches when things wear on them, losing wears on coaches. I remember Chudzinski, like, throughout the year. You could just see it in his face. And, you know, you know that I hate to say it, sometimes these coaches or players, like, maybe they don't look like they're as in good a shape as they should be. So my question to you is, I thought he looked a little bit thinner in the face and maybe uh, more in – not that he was in bad shape, but 
did he look any different to you yesterday? Yeah, Sean, I'm glad you said that. And we didn't even talk about this ahead of time. I, I had a couple of notes just overall from being at his camp yesterday. And I was out there for a couple hours. Um, I liked how he interacted with the kids. He was really into it. And he looked in great shape. And I think it's a continuation of last year. Because in 2019, where we all know about the struggles, I felt like he showed up. I know he showed up bigger. I don't know if out of shape is the right term for it. He talked about putting on some extra weight so he could absorb some hits. Um, but I thought he played slower. And yeah. he made a concerted effort going into last season. He went on a new diet. He got in a new workout plan. And I thought he looked much better last year. And I thought it showed up in some of the plays he made with his legs. And this feels like a continuation of that. Um, he looked bit, like he looked ripped to me. Like his legs were muscular. His arms were muscular. Um, I thought he did look a little skinnier than a year ago. So, yeah, I think you were right on the money. And I think that's a good sign for Baker. Now, you have to find that perfect balance, right? You don't want to be too small. You're going to have to absorb hits. It's just the NFL. But I feel like he's found the weight that he's comfortable playing at. Uh, that's great to hear. All right. Let's move on to another subject now. Since we talked last week, Brown's training camp, we knew it was coming, but they hadn't announced how it was going to work for fans and when the practices would be. And we learned a lot, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. So it is going to be open to the fans. There's going to be 12 free practices in Berea. And then another one at First Energy Stadium on Sunday, August 8th. That'll be at noon. The practices in Berea that are open to the public all start at about 225, I want to say. Um, they're going to cap attendance at about 2,000, which is down from a max of 3,500 approximately in the past. Um, you don't have to be vaccinated. You don't have to wear masks, but the Browns have been, you know, the, starting with the Haslam's have been proactive advocating for vaccines. Um, you know, they say if you haven't been vaccinated, you're, you know, they suggest wearing masks in when it's crowded, even outside. Um, but yeah, so it's going to be good to have the fans back because obviously they weren't there a year ago. Training camp felt completely different without the fans there. Um, and I'm sure the players felt the same way. It just didn't have nearly the intensity or the atmosphere. I mean, you've been out there a ton of times, Chud. It feels different, you know, regular season practice at training camp because of all these fans. So I, I think it's going to be really fun to have the fans back out there. Um, you know, there will be protocols in place. There's no autographs. Um, I think the fans are going to be limited to where they can go. You know, in the old days, they kind of ring the whole field, you know, and the fans could actually get really, really close to the field. And I, I'm expecting them to be, the fans to be a little farther back um, just to give the players, you know, the social distance. Uh, I'm in the room that I'm sure they're looking for. But 2,000 fans a day, and my guess is we're going to see that number every day because there's so much excitement. And then, you know, that practice at the stadium, you know, it used to be the orange and brown scrimmage. Now they're just calling it the orange and brown practice. Um, you know, it's general admission, lower bowl. You know, I mean, would it be crazy to think that 20,000 people show up to watch a Browns practice on a Sunday afternoon? I don't think so. Yeah, no doubt. All right, last topic. On uh, 
on the show here today, at least as, as far as I'm concerned. And I, you know, last week we talked about the most interesting players to watch yep. and the important players and that this week we saved the position battles, which I think was a good idea because, you know, we're one week away. It's all going to start next week. So Scott, what are the position battles you're going to have your eye on the most? Yeah, it's, it's defensive dominated Chud. And I think that's just natural because, we know, we know who the 11 starters on offense are going to be, right? And we know most of the key backups on offense. So I think we have to talk about defense because that's where all the transition was in this offseason. And, you know, I think position battles is what we normally talk about. This feels – and, yes, people are going to be battling for playing time and starting spots. But I, I'm kind of thinking of it as the positions that really interest me to see how they shake out. Um, so a little broader, I guess, is what I'm getting at. But I want to start with linebackers. And, you know, you, the Browns drafted Jeremy or Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa in the second round, right? People are fascinated to see what he can do. You know, the speedy linebacker out of Notre Dame. My question is, is he part of your base defense? And I'm guessing no. I think, he, I think he's a nickel guy and a dime guy to start. Now, maybe he grows into that. Maybe he looks so good in training camp that the Browns say, we need him on the field every snap. But you also have Anthony Walker Jr., who will probably call plays, which means he's going to be on the field a bunch. Um, Jacob Phillips, and to me, he is the biggest unknown among this group. The Browns drafted him in the third round a year ago. And he played some last year, but he also had a knee injury that bothered him throughout the season. And he aggravated it. Uh, he heard it in the opener, and then he aggravated it again. And I just don't feel like I saw him enough to have a great read on him. Now, when you're drafting on the third round, you have high expectations. But there's also a, all right, he's not a first-rounder. He's not a second-rounder. Um, you're not super committed to him. So I, I think this training camp is going to be really important for Phillips to see where he fits. Because could he be the guy that's on the field every snap? Yeah, that's not – I don't think that's outlandish, but you also signed Anthony Walker in free agency to kind of be that guy. So going into training camp, I think base defense, four, three, three linebackers. I think it's Jacob Phillips, Anthony Walker Jr. And Sione Takitaki. I think he's going to be like the run defender at linebacker. Like Andrew Billings is a run defender at D tackle. When you go nickel with two linebackers, then I think it's probably Walker and, Owusu Koromoa, but maybe Phillips edges out Walker. I think, you know, the Browns re-signed Malcolm Smith, and that's where he excelled last year was in pass coverage. Does he find a way on the field in those spots where it's maybe Malcolm Smith and JOK? I don't know, because then you sideline Anthony Walker, and then somebody else has to call the plays. And then, I, you know, the Browns are going to play a lot of dime this year, which means three safeties, three cornerbacks, linebacker. Is it JOK, your one linebacker? Or is that Anthony Walker or is it Jacob Phillips? So I, I really feel like there's a lot of unknowns when it comes to linebacker. Um, I'll give you, a, I'll give you an offensive one. It's my only offensive one on my list is receiver. What happens with the playing time for the number three and four and five receivers? Cause we know Odell Beckham jr. And Jarvis Landry, you're going to get a bulk of the snaps, right? 80, 85% of the snaps, probably at the minimum. Um, so who gets those third receiver snaps? How do they rotate it between Rashard Higgins, Daryl Hodge, 
Donovan Peoples-Jones. And then you get the rookie speedster, Anthony Schwartz, who, again, a third-round pick, who the Browns value his speed so much that I think they want him on the field. And they feel like he can change how a defense approaches the Browns' offense and open things up. So I'm fascinated to see how Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt and receivers coach Chad O'Shea, how they come up with that plan for the playing time for those receivers. Cause you know, maybe changes every week, you know, could you see Rashard Higgins being inactive? That sounds crazy. They re-signed him. He had such a good second half last year, but I can see a scenario where that happens certain games. Right. So I, I think that's an interesting one. And then I'll just give you a couple quick, another couple quick ones, cornerback. How does it play out between Greg Newsom, the second and greedy Williams for that second starting spot opposite Denzel Ward? Um, you know, does the rookie have it or does Greedy come back from that shoulder injury and hold on to that starting job that he was supposed to have a year ago? D-tackle, a bunch of candidates for playing time. You know, you have Malik Jackson and Andrew Billings will be your two starters, I assume. Where does Tommy Togiai, the rookie out of Ohio State, fit? I talked to Larry Johnson, their super respected D-line coach at Ohio State, about Togiai, and he thinks he can be a pass rusher on third down. So maybe he fits into that rotation. How does Joe Woods, the defensive coordinator, use those three safeties? Grant Delpit coming off the injury, Ronnie Harrison Jr., and then John Johnson the third, right? The big free agent acquisition. You know he's going to be out there, I would assume, every snap. But how does the rotation work with Delpit and Harrison? And then finally, kick return. It was such a black hole last year, the return game, especially after JoJo Natson got hurt with the torn ACL. Does Natson re- resume that role? Does it go to Demetri Fountain, the rookie running back slash receiver out of UCLA? Um, does Donovan Peoples-Jones get another shot at it, even though I thought he struggled last year? So, you know, I think while most of the positions are set and we feel like you can name, you know, maybe 48 of the 53 guys that are going to make the roster, I, I do think there's still some intrigue at some really important positions. Yeah, it's definitely a year like no other where you know most of the time we're really wondering who's going to make this team much different now to actually know the majority and then just wonder you know who's gonna start but I think at the end of the day I know this was labeled as a position battle topic but it's kind of like you had mentioned I'm interested just to see how you know they on offense, you know, do they go with more receivers than tight ends on defense? Like you kind of mentioned, will they be in nickel and dime more often anyway? Uh, you know, I, I the, the, the scenarios on offense and defense are kind of what intrigued me. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point, Chad. And, you know, when you have Super Bowl expectations, right, which we're going to keep beating people over the head with it because that's how this season starts, right? That's how this training camp starts. It's the minor things that are going to be the separators, right? And that's who do you use in these personnel packages? How does the offense grow? Is there more three receiver sets than there were a year ago? You know, how many two and three tight end sets do you use? And, you know, that's where you trust Kevin Stefanski, who proved it last year as coach of the year, that he's smart enough and flexible enough to make changes and to grow his offense. And that's something we'll see on the offensive side of the ball. And then defensively, we have all these new faces. And I think you're finally going to see the kind of scheme that Joe Woods wants to run. And we weren't able to see it a year ago because of all the injuries. 
Well, Chud, I think that's it for us. Um, thanks so much for joining me again. And we'll do this next week. We haven't figured out. Uh, Cam Akers. We haven't figured out exactly when we're going to do it next week. Um, you know, do we do it right before camp? Maybe we'll do it after a practice or two just so we can get a feel of exactly how training camp is set up um, this year and the vibe from the fans. Um, you know, I'm excited for it to start. You know, it feels like it's really here now, football season, and I'm sure fans are too. So, Chad, thanks so much for joining me again, and we'll do this at some point next week. This has been another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast.